Let's pray. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of thy faithful and kindle in them the fire of your love. And now, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Good morning. My name is Chris Peterson. I'm a a priest over at Church of the Redeemer in St. Paul. And I'm I'm filling in for Father Rick this morning. He's uh, away on some time of rest um, that I'm sure is well-deserved. And and so please be keeping him in your prayers. I'm thankful to be here. Um, I was ordained at Church of the Cross back in 2007 and 8, I guess, for a deacon and a priest. And... um, and then left to start a church, plant a church in Covington, Kentucky, just across the river from downtown Cincinnati. And we were gone for 12 years, and when we came back, Church of the Cross was now like multiple churches all over the Twin Cities. And it it was such a joy to come back and know that not only was there Church of the Redeemer, but there was also Restoration Anglican, and now also uh, uh, Resurrection Anglican. And it is just a beautiful thing to see the kingdom of God spreading, though it comes with its hardships and its trials, doesn't it? I think you probably all to one degree or another know some of that. So, um, but today I I thank God. I thank God to be here in yet another church where his name is honored and glorified. So... The summer after my junior year in high school, I decided, no, excuse me, the summer after my sophomore year in high school, I decided that I was going to run cross country. Now, I had never done any distance running, but my philosophy was, how hard can it be, right? I mean, so so I showed up for my first practice. My family had been on vacation, and so the rest of the team had been there for a week or so, and they were already in, in a routine and a rhythm. And um, we met at this a dam and a reservoir, which made this huge park full of woods and fields and the reservoir and picnic areas. It was beautiful. And um, so I sat down with the team, and we were all stretching, and I was like, I'm on with this. This is good. And then the coach said, okay, we are going to run to the dam, and then we're going to run to the tower. And I thought, okay, I'm just going to follow where they go, and we'll make this work. And so off we went, and I ran, and I was keeping pretty good pace. I mean, they were clearly in better shape than I was, but I I knew I could make this. And then we had gone for probably three-quarters of a mile, maybe a little more, and we came out of the woods on this trail into this open spot, and off to the left was this dam. We were at the base of the dam. There was this dam, and it just towered way over us. There was a road that ran over the top of it that I had driven over numerous times. And um, the group, I was near the back now already. I thought I was doing well. The group at the front turned left and started running down the base of the dam. And so I thought, okay, this will be kind of, kind of nice. And so I turned, and I was just going to follow the crowd. And then about halfway across the dam, they stopped and turned and started going up. And I was like, I didn't know there were stairs going up the dam. And... Um, so, but they, they, uh, they were heading straight up and they were going full tilt. So I, I kind of came up to my spot 
And when I got to the bottom and I looked up, it was a lot steeper than I realized. And so I started up the steps. And the steps were, seemed like they'd been designed by a torture expert. So, like, you take a step, and, you know, if, if the steps are planned well, you can just take a step with each stride, right? Or you could take a step and have two steps and then another step and two. This was designed, well, designed. This was at an angle where you could get no stride and no rhythm. And so I started running up this thing, and I could feel my legs getting weak and my lungs. You know, have you ever gone running, and when you're not in shape, you don't have any endurance yet, and your, your lungs just burn with the, the, the air? I was feeling that very acutely. And so I followed. We got all the way to the top, and there was a guardrail. And as I came to the guardrail, I stepped over the guardrail, and I felt my legs turn to jello. And I thought, we're only halfway to the destination. That was the longest run of my entire life. It was. It was sheer misery. From that point on, I was dead last in the pack. Um, I found very quickly that there is a difference between having endurance and enduring, right? There is a difference. But the result, we did this almost every day for months. And I still remember the day when I got to the top after a long time. I got to the top and I realized I'm not tired. It was like a, a phenomenal moment. I, I got to the top of this and it didn't completely destroy me. Sometimes you have to endure in order to achieve endurance, right? Sometimes you have to endure in order to achieve endurance. And in fact, I would say probably just about all the time you have to endure in order to achieve endurance. Last week, I believe, Father, do you call him Father Rick or Pastor Rick? Father Rick, okay. So last week, I believe Father Rick talked about the cloud of witnesses from Hebrews, right? Today, we're talking about what they lead us through, what they surround us, or when they surround us, what they lead us through. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Let us run with, an endure, with endurance. His admonition here, the author of Hebrews, the admonition is not that we should finish the race. Do you notice that? He doesn't say, hey, let's, let's make sure we finish the race, although clearly that's a goal. But that's not what he's encouraging the, the recipients of this letter. And I think by extension, that's not what he's encouraging us today. That's not the goal. He does not, his admonition is not that we would wallow in the sufferings of hardship. And in fact, I don't think that's ever the goal. Instead, 
his admonition is that we should build endurance. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, not the race that we choose, not the race that um, comes to us by anybody else's decision, the race that is set before us. I remember that year, the moment that I realized I'd hit endurance. It wasn't when I got to the top of the dam that day and my legs weren't jello. That wasn't the moment. The moment when I was running along in practice and in my head, I was dying, right? I was running, you know how it is. Your head says you're tired and so you run all stooped over and you're, and so that's the way I was plodding along and suddenly it occurred to me, you know, I'm really not breathing hard. And then it occurred to me, gosh, and my legs aren't tired. And it hit me, I really have this in my head, it's time to start running. So I literally straightened up, started a better stride, and moved forward at a faster pace. I had achieved endurance, and I didn't even realize it until I woke myself up. That's how this passage ends. Look down at verse 12. After he talks about all the ways in which endurance is built up, some of the ways in which endurance is built up, he says to these people who have been suffering, have been suffering greatly, he says to them, therefore lift up your drooping hands. Wake up in your minds, folks. You have endurance. God has given it. You have suffered. You have worked through things. Lift, or, um, uh, lift up your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather healed. So there's this sense in which, yes, endurance comes by enduring, but there's also a sense that we need to stand and recognize things about what God is doing in our lives and embrace them. Lift up your drooping hands. How do we get from verse 1 to verse 12? And that's the question. How do we get from verse 1 to verse 12? And I don't think this is a, Hebrews is a, um, a treatise to answer that question, but he certainly has some suggestions. Look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. For the, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured, there's that word again, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So we, we look to Jesus. I think sometimes I, I focus so much on the idea that Jesus' death on the cross is for my salvation, that I can sometimes forget that it is also for my example. That the cross is not just a means of atoning for sin, the cross is also a way of life that we are called to do. So, 
Jesus tells us in different words, if anyone would come after me, he must or she must take up the cross and follow. The cross is a means to restoration. And I say that word intentionally. The cross is a means to restoration. And Jesus endured. And endurance was resurrection. And he endures to this day praying at the right hand of God for you. That is what that means. The endurance of Christ means he prays for you. So in your hour of temptation, he who endured is now enduring for you. In the hour of illness and hardship, he who endured the cross is enduring in his prayers for you. In the hour of death, he who died, who endured to his death, is enduring in his prayers for you. So we set our eyes on Jesus. We set our eyes on Jesus. The other thing deals not with who we look at up there. It deals with who we look at right here. And that is, we don't scorn the discipline of God. Now, this is not a real popular church topic, right? We like in churches, and I get it, I don't like to stand up and say hard things. I like to get up and say, look how gentle God is. Um, and he is, he's incredibly gentle. But, um, but he is also one who disciplines. And in fact, there's this odd phrase in verse 7. He says, the, the author of Hebrews says, inspired by God's spirit, he writes, it is for discipline that you have to endure. It's almost like he's saying you have to endure in order to get discipline, which seems all backwards to me because my childhood was about avoiding that at all cost. We endure for the sake of being disciplined because God uses discipline to build us up, to teach us to endure, and to equip us to run with endurance. It is a gift. It is a gift. In fact, I would say I would say that when Jesus says that it is for us to pick up his cross and follow, I would say that that is a grace. That, that when we suffer, we suffer with Jesus. I recently, you know, everyone always, you know, suffering with Jesus. I was, um, I'm a chaplain, and so my bishop actually is the bishop of, of chaplaincy in the ACNA. And so this uh, June, I went to our annual convocation, and I met, I met a, a guy who is stationed, he's a Navy chaplain, and he's stationed in Hawaii, and everyone, as soon as he says that, everyone's like, oh, it's like, yeah, suffering with Jesus. Um, you know, um, 
when we suffer with Jesus, the Apostle Paul talks about this. He says, we receive a spirit of adoption. Adoption is sons. And that's not, I don't think, that means sons as opposed to daughters. I think it's adoption of sons because we are all in his son by his spirit of adoption. Like the son is that son. Do you follow my, my, my thought there? We've received a spirit of adoption. And so we are sons. And then later on in that passage, he goes on and he says, if, and that's, a, conditionals are really hard for us, aren't they? They are, because it sounds like, maybe like there's strings attached, but that's, that's not what it is. He says, if we also suffer with him. Paul says in Romans chapter 6, that we are baptized into Christ's death and his resurrection. We are united to his death by grace. Now, as a hospice chaplain, I can tell you that death is not an easy thing, always. I mean, sometimes it's beautiful. It, it, it is. But, but it's not an easy thing to die. And... I think we look to the cross and we see that. And it is to Christ on that cross that we are united if we are also to be united to Christ coming out of the empty tomb. And Christ endured discipline. That seems weird, doesn't it? Discipline is what a parent does when a child needs correction. What correction did Jesus need except that he joined with us in our need? He took upon himself that which is ours. And so that discipline which we needed, he endured on our behalf and then called us to come and take part in his endurance. It's like this big circular thing Christ became one of us to endure what we needed to endure and then called us to him to endure what he endured on our behalf. Does that make sense? Because it gets kind of complex in my head. I think maybe the best way I can think of this is um, an example that I heard from a parent once who described what he and his wife did when they were disciplining their toddlers in timeout. I love this story. So when the child would get rambunctious or, or, you know, cantankerous or whatever, you know, that we all do when we're three or four, they, you know, it was the, there were the, the warnings and whatnot. And then finally, there, it would, the moment would come, all right, time out. And so the parent would take the child and go to the corner, and then the parent would sit in the corner and set the child in their lap and wrap their arms around them and they would both sit in the corner and time out quietly for their three minutes. So mom and dad join the child in their moment of discipline, holding them in arms of love until the discipline is over and the discipline is no longer a restraint, it's a hug. Isn't that beautiful? And the child is called 
to repentance, which means sitting or mom in mom or dad's lap and joining them in the timeout. There's the cross. Do you hear me? You are called. You are called into the lap of God your Father. Discipline is not pleasant. It's not fun. But sometimes you have to endure in order to achieve endurance. I think this calls us to look at the circumstances of our life in a new light, doesn't it? When things come, when I've thought about discipline in the past, I think much of my life has been devoted to wondering, does God send this and orchestrate it, or is he just using it? And I think the whole point is moot. Like, who knows what the mind of God is doing? Like, I mean, that's God. I'm Chris. I cannot possibly know that. Can I be honest with you? Um, we, as I said when we began, we left Minnesota to go to Kentucky and planted a church. And it was really hard and painful for 12 years, I will be honest. And then just after we left, after two years in the pandemic, the doors closed. The doors closed. And I can tell you, friends, this is a moment of vulnerability. That hurt. That hurt. I know, I know that God did good things. I, I remember the names and the faces of people baptized. I remember charity given. I remember people who were suffering that had a church that came alongside. I remember all of these things and I know it meant something, but it hurt. And so I remember asking myself, I was sitting, I had a moment alone and I was thinking about it. And I was like, you know, would I, if I could go back 12 years, at that point I had sensed my calling, my primary calling had gone from uh, a parish minister like Father Rick and Father Christian and Father Paul to being a hospice chaplain. I'll always be doing some parish ministry in one way or another. I love working in the church. But my primary call is hospice chaplaincy. And so I'll be honest with you, the question occurred to me, if I could go back to the day I was ordained at Church of the Cross, would I have said, okay, God, I'll go plant that church or would I have just said, you know what, I'm just going to pursue hospice chaplaincy now. That would have been a much more pleasing route for my soul. And that question required some wrestling, I will be honest with you. That was not an easy question, and it wasn't an answer that came quickly. The answer that I think I finally settled on was this. If God is my Father, and he's really good. I mean, if I really believe that he's good, then I have to believe that I'll always be better off if I go where he leads me. If I run the path, the race that he has set before me. 
And these things aren't just ministry. What paths are set before you? What hardships at work? What struggles in marriage? What health problems? What grief and bereavement? I know we have a large gathering here. We have a lot of people. I know that there are people that are deeply suffering here today. There are some of you who are rejoicing, and there are some of you who are suffering. I don't know this because the Holy Spirit told me this. I know because it's a big group of people. And some of you today are being disciplined, and it's not comfortable. And I don't want to be a Pollyanna about this. I don't want to be, you know those signs they've got in corporate offices, they've got the guys rowing, and then there's some inspirational quote underneath about how, you know, you pull through. Uh, I, like, I have no time for that kind of stuff. I'm not talking about Pollyanna attitude changes. I'm talking about a true, honest facing of a circumstance that is miserable and just calling it what it is. Don't forget that it was Jesus who said on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was enduring. He did not find it fun. He said to his disciples, I feel like my heart is close to death. There's nothing Pollyanna about it. If you are there, it's okay to name it for what it is. It's suffering. But I want you to know that God will not let it go to waste. It will not be pointless. It will be for your restoration. Because that's what God does. And so today, Restoration Anglican Church, my, um, my admonition to you is to endure because you have a good father and you have a gracious Christ and he's praying for you. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.